Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Vince. And I'm Ashley. And we are the lead pastors of the Outlet Community Church. And wherever you are in the world, our heart is to add value to your life. That's right. Whether it's an encouraging word, whether it's a topic in the Bible, whether it's a life skill that you're looking to develop and hone in on, allow us to be an outlet for you. Yes, and our prayer is that wherever you are, whether you're right here in service or you're out in the world in the nation, listen, our prayer is that God meets you right where you are. We all have needs, we all have things, but our God is able and he's able to bless you and get you where you need to be. We have hundreds of hours of digital content that is available for you to consume yes. free of charge. Freely we receive, freely we want to give <laughs> it back to you. So make it a point to check out our page, check out our website at the yeah. Outlet Community. Dot com and you'll be able to find countless hours of videos, podcasts, and other material to help you grow in your walk with God. Hey, if you like some of the content, like, subscribe, share it, and we'd love that. <laughs> See your family and friends. So open up your heart and get ready to receive all that God has for you. so grateful to uh, have you all here. If you're watching online for the very first time, so grateful to have you watching. Uh, we're really excited about our new uh, Church Center app where you're able to plug in with us, and it's a one-stop shop for everything that's going on here at the church. When you download that app, it'll connect you to my notes for today, which are inside of the YouVersion Bible app, but you're also able to take a look around to see all the things that we have set up to minister to you and your family. Uh, it is our heart's desire to be a blessing to you, uh, to empower you, equip you so that you can transform the community around you. Uh, I'm Vince Thomas. Uh, next to me uh, just a little while ago was my wife, Ashley, and we're the lead pastors here of the outlet at Briarcliff. And uh, we count it an honor to speak into your life week in and week out. But I want to continue on today looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, New Living Translation, it says, Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Go with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to see fighting the good fight for the true faith. As we're fighting the good fight for the true faith, what do we have to keep in mind? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Verses 3 through 5, we see we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we continue to stay open to how you're desiring to flow in our time together. 
You've already spoken to us as a church family, as a, a church staff, as a leadership team of what you desire to do because of your love for your people. So I completely yield myself as a willing vessel to be led as you desire for me to be led. I don't want to say anything that you don't want me to say, but I want to say everything that you would have for those who are not only here, but those who are watching at home. We thank you for these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we're looking at our opening text scripture to fight the good fight for the true faith, I, I think about not too long ago, uh, a dear colleague of mine asked me, you know, looking at the life of a leader and the, the various things that you have to deal with, the things that you have to put up with, the life pressure, the organizational pressure, just the pressures that come with just being human, uh, he, he asked me, he said, how do you deal with all of that stuff? And I look at what I'm dealing with, and I look at the things that I have to be responsible for, and I look at the adversity that I face, and I think about those who have gone before me who had to face things far greater than what I had to face. Uh, a group that comes to mind this weekend is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and I think about the civil rights leaders who they were willing to risk their lives so that we could be a true democracy and a nation who believed in equality and justice for all. It wasn't a one-week type of commitment that they had, but for years, willing to be beaten, willing to be persecuted, willing to have their homes vandalized, willing to have their lives terrorized so that people who came after them could experience the freedoms that our nation says that it guarantees. And when I think about what it takes to be a person who is willing to stay in the fight until the fight is finished, it requires us to commit to a way of life and a pattern of life that causes us not to quit when things get tough. And so today as we continue part two of Call to Duty, I want to continue with this thought that you are called to do hard things well. Called to do hard things well. Here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Making a change for the better is hard. But staying the same is even worse. So life is going to be hard no matter which way you cut it. But the question is, how do we stay in the fight to make good change, to make good progress, to fight the good fight of faith? And we're going to take a look at that on today. In 1 Timothy 6 and 12, it says, uh, we're going to look this week at hold tightly to eternal life to which God has called you. What does it mean to hold tightly to eternal life? Well, let's go back to verse 11, as we did on last week. We looked at one part of this verse. And last week we looked at uh, when it says in 1 Timothy 6 and 11, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. I don't have time to go back into how we fleshed out what does it mean to run from all these evil things. Today I want to look at the second part of this verse. If we're to hold tightly to eternal life, which God has called us, then we have to make a commitment to pursue righteousness and a godly life. We're also called to pursue with faith, with love, with perseverance, and with gentleness. 
When I look at these terms, pursue righteousness and a godly life, what stands out is it's telling us to pursue with aggression, to have intentionality, to order our lives accordingly, to understand who God has made us in Christ Jesus. Society tries to define you based off of what you did and did not do, what you have and have not accomplished, but God says that your identity is given based off of who Jesus Christ has made you to be because of his finished works. When he was died, when he was buried, and when he resurrected, we had the opportunity to accept eternal life. And us accepting eternal life allows us to accept God's grace, which transforms us from the inside out. If you ever want to change your outside life, you have to first change your inside thinking. But if you ever want to change your inside thinking, you have to first change what do you believe about yourself. So it starts first with pursuing righteousness. Pursue. So your focus is how do I grow in my understanding of who God has made me to be? That's our vertical responsibility. But the gospel is not only vertical, meaning us toward God and God toward us, but a true gospel is holistic, which then gives us a responsibility to a horizontal relationship in how we live and treat other people. So when I understand who God has made me, when I understand how I've been wired, it transforms the life and the habits that I live. I am extremely loud uh, today. If I can get turned down in the house, I'm ringing a little bit. When we understand who God has made us, it will then help to filter the decisions that we make. And this is the only way that we're going to hold tightly to eternal life. You can come to church every single Sunday. You can read every single Bible book that you can think of. You could be in the choir, you could be on the usher board, you could be in the parking lot, but if you don't learn how to apply what you know, you will not experience the life God has called you to live. Well, he continues to go on to say, also pursue love. First, we have to understand how much God loves us. Unfortunately, religion has done a great job of teaching people that they're less than and that they will never be. And no matter how hard you try, God will never fully accept you. Because we realize that within us, our habits, our decisions, our thoughts that do not look anything like the word that we're supposed to live like. But your actions don't dictate God's love towards you. Your thoughts don't dictate God's love towards you. But knowing how much God loves you transforms how you think and how you act. A person who knows their love well lives well. But if I, am, if I have questions about how much God loves me, I won't truly be able to stand in the midst of adversity. If I believe that I am by myself, nobody is with me, nobody understands the pressures that I'm facing, nobody has the type of problems that I have, no one gets me, and I face adversity, I'm going to think I am by myself. And it's going to cause me to not have the same fervor to just keep going and stay in the fight and stay a person of character. But if I am convinced that no matter what 
comes my way, no matter what report I get, no matter what someone says, I know who God has called me to be. I know what God has said about me. And I can use the adversity as workout equipment to develop my faith. So we first have to understand there's a vertical relationship, but then with our vertical relationship with God, we then need to understand there's a horizontal responsibility to live all of this stuff out. And so when I understand that my faith needs to be placed in Christ, that I love God because he first loves me, you then are able to love others the way you believe God loves you. Whenever I feel like just... All right, there's two sides of vents, right? There's the guy that has prayed and is truly submitted to the word of God. And then there's this other side that he got time today. Every day I wake up with both of them. B-O-F, both of them. I wake up with both of them. And I have to make the decision every day, every hour, every minute, every second that I am going to follow the leading of Holy Spirit because your boy over here is out of control. So I have to think about God. Number one, I don't need to respond to foolishness because you've given me your wisdom. Okay, I have that. But then I say, God, I put all my trust in you. So when my trust is in a secure source, it gets rid of thoughts of insecurity. See, insecure people do not wise things. And Triggered people trigger people. And if you can understand that people are dealing with things that a lot of times we don't know of, and a lot of what comes your way is not personal to you, but a pattern from someone else, you can calm down and be the light instead of giving them the what for that they deserve. Because I'm so grateful, I am so grateful that God has not given me what I deserve. The Bible says the wages of sin our death. And I'm not talking about before I knew who Jesus was. I'm talking about since I've been saved, sanctified, fire baptized, Holy Ghost filled, speaking in tongues, Shana Mabosha Honda Dorota, like all of it. I still thank God that he didn't give me what was rightfully due because of my bad mistakes. And when I think of all that God has done, when I think about his patience with me, the least I can do is extend that to another person because no one will ever do to you worse than what you've already done to God. So I can, I can show up as the best version of myself when all I've been given is evil, all I've been given is bad, I can still love in spite of because when I wasn't on my best behavior, God was faithful to me when I wasn't faithful to him. God stayed loyal to me when I wasn't loyal to him. And every time I have to choose to be the good me over the bad me, I am getting closer to God because I'm having to remind myself of who he was in my lowest moments. 
So that's how we stay in the fight. We're reminded on how God treats us. But if I don't know how God treats me, I am going to equate God is the church. And those are not the same thing. In fact, the pastor is not God and is not the church. You do understand that all of us gathered here together are human individuals who are, have a tendency to make a mistake from time to time. And unfortunately, we as a church have put our preference on people as if it's doctrine. The majority of times, church has put people in condemnation because the leaders liked one thing over another, but they never went in the context of Scripture to see how God deals with each individual, in, uh, with each person. And so people have this feeling and this weight that I can never be good enough. I'll never be accepted. And so if the church doesn't accept me, if the church threw me away when I messed up, then that's probably how God treats me because they talk to him. But God is far greater than me. Even, I'm going to be real, even if I fail and get off, and have a lack of character and ethics and integrity, it still doesn't give you a right to leave a God who has never gotten off. Your faith should not be in some man, me. Now, I want to caution your heart. My wife made a, a real promise three days after we got married. She said, if I do get off, she's going to murder me. So you ain't got to worry. If y'all see there's a funeral for the pastor... Y'all ain't got to worry about news coming out. You're going to know, she did it. Go get her. <laughs> Y'all ain't got to worry about that. Folks say, you know, how do you live such an ethical life? Because I like my life. Like, I enjoy it. <laughs> but, but I want to caution the church at large because in 2024, this is going to be, be a year of transparency and exposure. You are going to find out things that you could not have fathomed, but that is not an excuse for you to leave your post in the fight. People are always looking for a reason to leave. If you're always looking for a reason to leave, well, you're really trying to stay. The way that we determine our culture is not when things are going well, but how do we treat people when they've fallen? And if we're the image of Christ, then our job is to restore a fallen brother or sister and not talk about them and say, see there, see there. Now, I'm going to leave that alone because I do feel like meddling, but we need to get into the Word of God. But maybe I'll hop on a live sometime and have some real honest dialogue and thoughts. I don't know what happened to me going into now. We're celebrating six years as a pastor. I'm going into my seventh year. Something happened at the, the strike of midnight where I quit caring what people think, and I'm just going to tell the truth. So, so y'all going to have to forgive this new version of me because I want to help people, and I don't want to hold truth that could free someone. You know, a person who is free has no problem with just sharing the truth. Someone that got something to hide is always doing something shady. My thing is put everything out in the light and get everything right. 
Listen, if you're struggling with something, find somebody safe that you can honestly say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Because as long as you are suffering in silence, it's going to have power over you. But the moment you can say, listen, this is not the version of me that I want. I need you to hold me accountable in this. You are demonstrating that even though I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling, as I'm working to who I'm called to be, this thing will not have power over me and does not have power over me because I can call it like I see it. But as long as you're trying to be secretive and you're trying to hide and you don't want anybody to know, that thing that you struggle with, you're allowing it to have more power over you than God has called you to give it. We got to be honest in the church to stay in the fight. The only way we can stay in the fight is to just be honest. Be honest. So let me give you all some divine strategies for success. Let's go back now to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, it says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Sometimes when you're angry, you don't think logically. And often our responses in our anger are a revelation of the wounds within our soul that we need to heal. But instead, it's easier to project the work that we're supposed to be doing to highlight what someone else hasn't done. And when you are triggered, you have to understand that there is something at work that's deeper than what meets the eye. In leadership, I have not always handled that well. It's like if you get a crazy email, sometimes you're like, oh, yes, I got time. (laughs) And what happens with words, once you send words, you can't take words back. So before you say it, text it, type it, post it, pray about it. And ask the Lord, how do you want me to handle this? And when I've shifted from just responding to listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit, many times he says, say nothing. Because your life, hear me, living a godly life is the only response you need to give any accusation. No one can argue with the fruit of your life. Everybody want to talk. That's easy. Live it. I'm not going to meddle. Nope. Verse 4, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Man, Ashley, you uh, shared a statement that said, anytime we use our reasoning to adjust what God has said, we know too much. If God has given you an instruction... And then you sit back and say, well, let me consider. Uh, with the, if God tells you something, you need to use your reasoning to best inform you how to do what he said. Not adjust it. <laughs> and Vince, don't meddle. You know you got places you got to be. 
I'm a middle for a second. I know. My wife said, oh, Lord. <laughs> in the age we live in, people have substituted the place of God for their knowledge, so their knowledge is God. People have substituted God for their truth, and now their truth is God. And what happens is, based off your feelings, you create a sliding scale that you have to obey with your own reasonings and your own truth. But when you study, and this is why we encourage you to read the Bible in context, the Bible, it, 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 it is very clear, and, very, and it answers itself. Any question you have, it answers itself within the context of Scripture. When you place the Word and God and who he is and how he's revealed himself over the balance of time, and then you place your knowledge and your understanding underneath, what you begin to do is you begin to submit to an authority, being the word, that does not change. And when you submit to the authority of the word that does not change, what happens is you begin to grow and transform into the image of Christ. But what happens is when I place a sliding scale of truth and a sliding scale of knowledge as my God, I begin to transform into that image. But the only thing about that image is that image changes too. And so you have people who are 30, 40, 50 years old, 60 years old saying, I don't know who I'm supposed to be in life. And the other part in the church that we have to be mindful of, and we'll get here in our Bible study in Ephesians chapter 4, is you need to be mindful for something that's entitled every wind of doctrine. People want the new thing, the new revelation. I want to see it this way, and I, I want to see it that way, and I want to, I want to go. And, and you have people who have itching ears saying, I heard this God is love, and I heard this that, that God is is, you know, it, it, that Christ has done everything that I need and given me everything I need pertaining to this life and godliness. I heard all that, but I need something else. And you begin to see even the very elect, people that you would have never expected to begin to get off and get out the fight and get over into what I call strange doctrines. In an age of inclusivity, we cannot alter the tenets of God's prescribed method and how we are to live our life. And that's not popular because in order to make people feel comfortable, we sometimes suppress what we know is true. And when you suppress what you know is truth, you end up making someone else comfortable while lying to yourself. So these are not cookie-cutter, black-and-white times that we're living in. In order for you to be effective, you have to have a direct line to God on, Lord, here's the situation. What is your wisdom on how I'm to approach this situation? And God will give you wisdom every single time that will also line up with his word. 
The Bible is filled with truth, yes, but the Bible is also filled with grace. And you have to bring the two together. The part the church got real well was truth. We suffer on grace. But when you bring the two together, what you realize is often the issues that are brought to you, with more discernment, you'll be able to get underneath the issue and find out what is the actual root cause that you need to deal with. Amen. That's for somebody. That was definitely not in the notes. Verse 5 in 2 Corinthians 10.3, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Every proud obstacle. Every proud obstacle is not only things that we think about outside the church, but every proud obstacle could also be unbiblical things that are taught from across the pulpit. Help me, Holy Ghost. When you first start off in the faith, you need structure. You need structure, and you're trusting the leaders that you are going to to give you that structure and how to order your life. And I can remember, as I'm trying to, I was in a season of my life where I wanted to grow in the things of God, And every effort I made to grow, I also sensed at the same time a level of condemnation rising at the same time. And I I had to get honest, like, why is this level of condemnation rising when all I'm trying to do is just get better? Well, in between what I'm getting from the Word and my lifestyle practice were the undue hardships put on me by religious institutions that had nothing to do with the word and my habits. So I'll give you one. I was told that if I wanted to get close to God, I needed to wake up at a particular hour of the day and pray one solid hour interrupted. And I did good that first day. But some weeks went by, and I wasn't getting up at 6 a.m. anymore. I was getting up at 6.30, 6.45, sometimes 7.15, sometimes 7.30. And I couldn't get my full hour, but I got something in. But even after I got something in, I felt like I fell short in God's eyes. And the Lord asked me, he said, Vince, is the culture around you greater than the Christ within you? And he said, I want you to, to, to identify where the condemnation is coming from. Are you getting condemnation from Scripture? I'm like, well, no. Are you getting condemnation when you are spending the time with me? And I was like, no. Where are you getting condemnation from? 
the proud obstacle. You see, that leader that was telling me this time, and I have to do that, it was to inflate their esteem. And it wasn't allowing me to get a full image for the relationship God wanted me to have with him. And so our responsibility as a church, as spiritual leaders, is not to tell you how to think. It's to teach you how to think. It's not to tell you this is this and that is that. It's to teach you to understand and begin to develop a relationship with the leading of Holy Spirit for yourself. And so you end up having a culture of church within the culture of America called a subculture. And so churches begin to have their own quote-unquote way. And people spend years, once they're out of the way, trying to figure out who am I. And our responsibility is to say, it's time for you to get into the Word. And when you're reading the Word, are you asking these questions, what is the Spirit leading you with? And when you develop in leading of the Spirit, and I've shared this story before, I'll share a, a, uh, a fun story about this, not a real life, you know, like there's, some, there's a good, a funny thing that happened, and then there, was some, there were some times where people who were spiritual leaders had their own plan for my life that was not God's plan, but they wanted to act like it was God when my spirit was saying it wasn't. The fun time that that happened was I had a spiritual leader that I absolutely looked up to. I admired him. I mean, very successful uh, in the state of Mississippi, just, just phenomenal. One day he had me at his house because he was discipling me. And I was two years into dating Ashley at the time. And he and his wife sat down with me at the kitchen table and said, son, I really want to just, you know, let you know that uh, uh, we, we, we really don't believe that young lady, uh, uh, Ashley, uh, she, she's, not, she's not who God's best is for you. And, and it was tough because spiritually I trusted him. But I had spent time learning how to listen to the leading of Holy Spirit and all on the inside. I was like, no, that ain't it. That ain't it. I've tasted and seen the Lord is good. That ain't it. But I had a struggle because this man who was successful, who had the house, the cars, the church, the ministry, the accolades, the influence, the fame, was telling me, son, for your best interest, cut her off. And, and, I, said, and I asked the follow-up question, so it, it, is there something that you're sensing? Yeah, she is not one who understands the way of our denomination. And you need a woman that would understand the ways of our denomination. Respectfully, I have to decline. And so I went against the proud obstacle, and it taught me to know the knowledge and the leading of the Holy Spirit. It taught me that even when people that you trust are off, follow the Holy Spirit. Now, it's 2024. 
They talked to me in 2008. They no longer at that denomination, number one. And what was revealed is they wanted me to marry a couple girls that they knew and not marry this fine red bone on the front row. (laughs) Neither, neither of them would have been able to facilitate the magnitude of the calling on my life. And I would have gave all of that up because of a proud obstacle in the way of getting to know God for myself. Amen. Amen. Let's end with this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1. Uh, we'll do 1, 3, and 4 in the New King James Version. Amen. For my affirmation. Are y'all getting something out of this today? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Mm. Y'all got me out here sharing all vulnerably and stuff in real life. But if it helps someone, there's nothing I'll withhold to help someone know God for themselves. 2 Timothy 2 and 1. So divine strategies for success. So we don't fight as humans do, so how do we fight? It's these two words that I want to introduce to you all. Pursue and endure. Someone say and type in pursue, pursue. Endure. endure. Pursue, pursue. Endure. endure. Pursue, pursue. Endure. Pursue, pursue. Endure. Endure. All right. Pursue, endure. These are the first strategies that I'm going to share with you next week. We're going to get into how do you develop a life that, of consistent word and prayer time to include fasting and praying. I know I use the F word in church, fasting. Yes, fasting and praying. In a week from now, we will do a corporate fast as a church for seven days. We're all going to be in it together, and I'll talk more about that on next week to just help everyone just know how can I do things and dedicate time to God just to kind of get your appetite wet because it's not about most people just fast in January And the real reason why most people fast in January is because they're trying to lose weight. If the church got honest with the church, the real reason everybody's excited about fasting is because they said, you know, at the top of the year, I'm going to lose these 10 pounds from uh, Christmas, and it gave me a good time. And so people say, you know, how was your fast? Glory to God, I lost 12 pounds. Like, that was not the purpose of a fast. Fasting helps you to ignore that voice of the I got time today and be surrendered and submitted to the leading, guiding of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you all a life hack, and this is, you know, next week. I'll give you a little tip and a teaser for next week. Whenever I have a major meeting or I have to do something huge, I fast leading up to that meeting because I want to hear Lord, what are you saying in the midst of these moments? I do not want to respond in the flesh. And quite honestly, I'm speaking to some leaders in here, some supervisors, some directors, some managers, some CEOs. The more power you have, the more surrendered you need to be. Because your words carry more weight. Your decisions impact lives. And you need God every hour of every day. 
to steward what he's entrusted to you. But we're not talking about that this week. We'll talk about that next week. Pursue, endure. 2 Timothy 2 and 1. Glory to God. I'm having fun at church today. I think I'm going to join next week. <laughs> but seriously, membership class next Sunday for those who are looking to join. All right, First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 2, verses 1. It says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 3. You therefore must, not might, must endure. You must endure hardship. You must do hard things well as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In Steve Magnus's book, Do Hard Things Well, he states, we traditionally define toughness as a combination of machismo, of a lack of emotion, or outward display of dominance and control. But Magnus claims that this old school definition of toughness is harmful and that real toughness is defined by confronting reality, acknowledging your thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and using a multitude of strategies to cope with discomfort and adversity. So your ability to be tough and to do hard things well is to mean that I need to grow in all facets of my life so that I can handle adversity and discomfort when it arises. How do I endure hardship? The word endure in the Greek, I love it. It's a, it's a word that says share together. You need to share together, meaning that when life is hard, you are not alone. When you feel like you're suffering because you're obeying the Lord, you're not in it alone. You share in the suffering together with Christ, meaning Christ is carrying the weight. All you have to do is make the decision that I'm going to follow. Christ carries the weight of the hardship. You have to do the obedience in the hardship. Staying obedient to what he called you to do. It's easy when it's new. Couples stand at the altar and say, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, for richer and for poor. Their wedding song they walked down the aisle to is a great profession. They might have had some Luther Vandross, and they said, here and now, I promise to love faithfully, faithfully. But the next month, that song changes to a dirty South group called Crime Mob and Nuck If You Buck. <laughs> Able to use Crime Mob in a sermon analogy. <laughs> My triple OG score went up right there. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, how do I endure hardness? Verse 4. No one engaged in warfare 
entangles themselves. So in order to increase my ability to endure, I have to decrease the amount of foolishness I'm entangled with. (laughs) The greater the goal, the more intentional the focus. You don't have to entertain every argument. Focused on the goal. I know what God has called me to do. I know what God has called me to be. Is it going to allow me to pursue righteousness, a godly life, love, faith, perseverance, and gentleness? If not, I do not pursue that. Someone say pursue. Someone say endure. Stand to your feet today. Amen.